Today on Seahawks Forever, my five takeaways from the Seahawks' loss to the Bengals, a very tough loss, one that I had to take about a day and a half to ruminate over, wanted to see the All-22 tape, wanted to listen to what Pete Carroll had to say today before I passed my thoughts along to you. I'll take a look at that, give you some sound from Pete, and also, yes, address the elephant in the room, Geno Smith. He did some really good things on Sunday. He did some very bad things on Sunday. I will show you examples of both. Break that down. Try to put it in context for you and categorize this loss. Was it a bad loss or was it one that might not prove to be so bad in the long run? Seahawks, Bengals, five takeaways coming up next. This is Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hope you're all doing well and had a fun, safe weekend. If you're in the Seattle area that you survived the uh, torrential rain, Paul came in with a vengeance today. Uh, and the Cincinnati Bengals came out in the second half with a vengeance yesterday against the Seahawks, Seahawks and uh, really dominated the offensive line. We're going to touch on that in my five takeaways. Before we get started with all of that, if you're watching on YouTube, like, hit that thumbs up. really helps in the algorithm. Subscribe to the channel. So you're involved, you're part of the community, you always get notifications of new episodes. If you're an audio listener, whichever podcast platform uh, you listen to, subscribe. So same thing, you don't miss any episodes. And if you really want to support the show, buy me a coffee or a beer. The link is in the description if you would like to join in and do that. Also follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. And I know, a lot of shameless self-promotion here. Download the PSF app. Uh, Dana O'Gorman and I, you'll remember her. If you don't watch her other stuff already, former co-host on the Field Goals podcast, uh, we've teamed up on this. It's a um, uh, it's a wonderful fan-driven app, and we live stream during uh, most of the games, uh, the, the road games in particular. And so you get our reactions, our instant analysis during the game, and you can join in the discussion as well and even hop in on video, um, as Al did, as Mad Dog did yesterday. Uh, you can be one of those as well. Let's get into this. Uh, five takeaways. Let's jump right in. Uh, number one, the defense is good. Defense continues to be good. And, and each week, we kind of see new evidence, new information that confirms and validates how good this defense is. Because there were times last year, you know, they got a terrible start. And then starting with the Arizona game at home, they put some things together. They put a, what was it, a four-game stretch where the defense was pretty good, but it was a mirage, and we saw what happened the rest of the season. Uh, this this unit continues to get better. Um, and uh, Pete Carroll talked about that today, and then I'm going to give you uh, some of my thoughts as well, uh, some specifics. But, they, they, you know, it didn't look great early. Seahawks had that tremendous opening drive. Their best drive of the year, I think. Just outstanding scripted play calling by Shane Waldron. Run pass mix using every area of the field. Gino was efficient. Went down and scored. On the road, took the crowd out of it. And then the Bengals got the ball. And there were some penalties involved. Might have got off the field if Jaron Reed doesn't jump off sides there on that first drive in particular. But uh, Joe Burrow with the short passing game just carving us up. And they marched down the field twice, take a 14-7 lead. And that was it. 
Seahawks defense really dictated uh, the line of scrimmage rest of the game and, uh, and, and really took control, gave the offense a chance to come back and win the game, and they obviously did not do it. Um, here's a couple of things Pete had to say today. First, uh, I wanted to play a general uh, clip of uh, just how he summed up the game um, as one that, you know, I talk a lot in this league about how it's just one play here or there that separates teams sometimes. And this was certainly one of those games. And Pete was lamenting missed opportunities this morning on his coach's show. The frustration comes from all of the opportunities we had to win the football game. We could have scored 28 points easy in the game, easily. And uh, uh, we just couldn't finish the, you know, the, get the play that we needed to get in the end zone. And so it's one touchdown and a couple field goals and, and two, we have two four down shots, you know, um, I, f- I figured we're going to win all the way to the very last snap. Yeah, and uh, be- and that's because the defense did their job. And we're gonna we're gonna focus mostly on offense after this. Um, but here's what he he had to say specifically about why what he likes. He was asked what he likes about this defense. There's a lot of good players on the field, and and when their opportunity comes up to make a play, they're making it. You know, uh, whether it's a diagnosing a screen, making a tackle in the open field. And I think we missed four tackles in the game yesterday, which is phenomenal. Um, we have really good guys covering, and they're making plays. Trey's making plays. Tariq's making plays. Uh, um, Spoon had three three pass defense yesterday. Guys are, uh, the, the effort up front is really consistent so that when the opportunities arise, you, know, you don't know who's going to make the sack, but somebody's going to get there, you know. And Yeah, someone's going to get there. It's... Um... It's really remarkable, isn't it, how (laughs) players make plays. Uh, The late, great John Clayton used to always say that the NFL was a talent acquisition league. You can talk about coaching all you want, and coaching can separate teams, but usually talent wins. And last year we talked a lot about scheme, didn't we? We talked a lot about Clint Hurt. We talked a lot about scheme and run fits and execution because we just didn't have a lot of players making plays. But this year, Devin Witherspoon coming through the draft. Trey Brown being healthy. Jamal Adams coming back. Bobby Wagner coming back into the fold. Jordan Brooks coming back after injury. Adding some guys on the defensive front, bringing Jaron Reed back and Draymond Jones. It's The, the talent is evident. Uh, there was a lot of talk before the game about uh, Devin Witherspoon versus Jamar Chase. And uh, <laughs> a lot of talk back and forth. Devin Witherspoon Really fared well in that battle. Uh, he was targeted twice against Chase. Didn't give up a catch. He also had three passes defensed in the game. Trey Brown was even better. 29 covered snaps. Uh, he, was, he was targeted twice. Gave up zero catches. Picked off a ball while guarding Chase on his textbook of a play. I mean, it's teaching tape for how to cover a receiver as a corner when you don't get a chance to get your body turned around, get your head turned, and look back to the ball. Just absolutely knocked Chase's arm away when he tried to push off. Read Chase's body language, his shoulders and arms, reach up, knock the ball away. Absolutely outstanding. I had a zero passer rating allowed when targeted yesterday. Versus the run, the Seahawks were good again. This is a larger sample size now, right? Five games. They're tough to run against. Bengals only managed 46 yards on the ground. Joe Mixon, as good as he is, 12 for 38. Uh, those, when you take those first two drives away, the, the adjustments that the Seahawks defense made. We're talking about talent here, but, but let's start giving some credit to Clint Hurt, right? 
because we, we threw them under the bus and we beat the crud out of them last year. We can't have it both ways. Doesn't he deserve credit this year? Those first two drives, Joe Burrow in the first half, 18 out of 22, 143 and two touchdowns. In the second half, three out of eight, 26 yards and a pick. Couldn't get anything done. Guys recovered. And the, and the pressure started to catch up to him. I think they had three sacks in the second half. Uh, so that's the first takeaway. That defense, it's funny going into the season, right? We talked about this in the live stream, Dana and I did, that coming into the season, we thought the defense was going to be young. Guys coming back from injury, they were going to take time to gel. The offense was going to have to carry him. Sort of the other way around, isn't it? This defense is keeping him in games. And the offense needs to get it together. How can they do that? My second takeaway, JSN is getting closer. Closer to his breakout game. Could have been this game, right? Clearly, they're targeting him more. And we talked, uh, we've talked before about how the targets just where they've come, it's not deep enough downfield. That changed on Sunday. Five targets, four catches, 69 yards, a long of 30, and some plays left on the field, too, which we're going to look at. Uh, 12 yards of catch, and they they weren't just bubble screens. They weren't just trying to get out to him in the flat. Um, You feel like he's about to have a breakout, not just because he's healthier. Pete reiterated on his coach's show this morning again. He's been playing with a broken wrist. That that fracture still hasn't fully healed. Um, And maybe there's a trust factor that has to happen with Gino and him, but clearly in this game plan, they targeted him. And this could have been a very, very big day for JSN beyond what he did already, um, which we'll get to in my fifth takeaway. You can probably guess what that is. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Number three, Zach Charbonnet is being underutilized. And maybe that's a way this, this offense can find some more consistency. We see flashes in the run game. They started off running the football well yesterday with Ken Walker. Walker, I'd... Uh, 56, uh, uh, 64 yards rushing, I believe. Sorry, thought I had those numbers in front of me. I'm looking at snap counts. Um, Charbonnet only had 18 snaps to 56 for Walker. And some of those snaps, you know, they are looking for ways to get them both on the field at the same time, which I like. But it only translated to two carries for five yards and two catches for 14 yards. We've seen what he can do with the ball in his hands. We know he's good in pass protection. Um, he's a different style than Ken Walker. And I think it's, it's important that, that Waldron make more of an effort to interchange those guys a little more consistently. I think it makes it really challenging for the defense. Uh, takeaway number four, speaking of Shane Waldron, I don't think he gave Geno enough help. I don't think it was a particularly great game. The, the first drive, best drive of the year, as I said. Um, but we know that he scripts that. We have seen games where he makes remarkable adjustments in the second half. Carolina is a good example. Couldn't get in the end zone. First half, had to settle for field goals, came out in the second half, and Geno dominated. And Waldron called an outstanding game with backup offensive linemen against a good pass rush and all that. That was maybe his best moment this year. Uh, but 
not yesterday, felt like he placed too much trust in the offensive line despite being banged up and guys playing out of position. The Seahawks have been so successful in two tight end sets, that 12 personnel. Number one in the league in EPA, I believe, in those formations coming into the game. And early on, we just didn't see a lot of it. Saw some, but not a lot. Uh, I think the week before, they they had 70-ish percent of their snaps were 12 personnel. Uh, they, they kind of abandoned it early in this one. I've talked before about how one of my pet peeves with offensive coordinators is, is just don't get too cute. Don't outsmart yourself. You know, I, I, is it uh, the Occam's razor? Is that, the, is that the, the line of thought that sometimes the best answer is the most obvious one, the one that's right in front of you? What did the Rams do to us in the second half of the opening game? They just kept running that same damn play, that, that deep in-breaking route to Nakua because we couldn't stop it. Don't, don't try to get ahead of yourself and think, ah, they're expecting 12 personnel, so they're going to be written. No. Do what you do best. And uh, especially with Curran, as much as he struggled the last couple of weeks at right tackle anyway, but then he's playing on a heavily taped ankle, banged up ankle. You got the rookie Anthony Bradford playing at right guard. And as good as he has shown in flashes that he can be, what was the, what was the scouting report on him coming out of LSU? He's gonna he's a mauler in the run game, but he's gonna take some time to develop as a pass blocker. That's exactly what we've seen from him. He he had a couple his his first start against the Giants, pretty solid, but that's a different group of guys. Um, than when he faced this week and and really struggled on picking up twists stunts movement. Um, and so those two guys playing side by side, the right side of the offensive line really struggled in this one, especially late in the red zone when they're trying to score and win the game. Uh, I thought Waldron could have been better. I also thought there was an opportunity in this game in a couple of moments where tempo would have made sense. And we just haven't seen that as much. Maybe that's something Gino's not comfortable with, you know, get in some two minute, get in some hurry up, go no huddle. And also, Get the ball out quicker. I, I think I think that's that's one of the responsibilities of the offensive coordinator, right? If Gino is stuck on some things, trying to get the ball downfield too much, maybe not recognizing or, or, or not being in tune to the feel and the flow of the game, that hey, this isn't this isn't going the way we want it to. We're kind of struggling up front right now against Hubbard and Hendrickson and those guys. Uh, let's get the ball out quicker. I can call some things, but also just get in his ear, right? Hey, Gino, just get it out. Tempo, timing. I think Waldron deserves uh, some blame for the outcome of this game too. And then my fifth takeaway, of course, let's talk about Gino Smith. Um, he had a tough day is what I would call it. I mean, 27 out of 44, it's not a great completion percentage. 323 yards, eight yards per attempt. It's not bad. Uh, zero touchdowns, didn't get it in the end zone. And uh, had the had the two picks, and I think it's pretty universally accepted that the first pick was his fault. I'm going to touch on that uh, in this film segment. Uh, the second interception, though, DK stopped running his route. DK even admitted afterwards that was on him. Um, so a tough a tough day, but not as tough a day as some people would have you believe. That segment of the fan base that just refuses 
to accept Geno Smith just looks for any reason they can to invalidate him. And, and the stuff that, that I've seen on social media and in, in fan groups and chat rooms and, and on Twitter, of course, after the game, fans are calling for him to be benched, um, for us to move on from him after this season. And that, that's a discussion that's, that's for another day. But, but I think they're missing some things. Um, and so I wanted to try and give a, a balanced look based on the All-22 film of uh, some of the mistakes he made, some of the fatal mistakes that he made in this game, but also balance it out a little bit by reminding you how damn good he can be at times and maybe just um, uh, kind of take that into account as you, you think about the big picture. So did a little film breakdown. This is Geno's day against the Bengals yesterday, some of the highs and the lows. All right, so I wanted to start off by showing you some things that Gino did well on Sunday. And, and I'm going to tie this all back in at the end with kind of my overall assessment of, of how he played and just try to put it into context of expectations on him right now. Threw for 323 yards. Kept him in the game when things weren't going well in other areas. But I just want to remi- remind you of the arm talent, right? Like go back to my show from earlier in the week where I talk about pocket presence but let's talk about accuracy and arm talent, too. And he made some of those throws on Sunday. And this, this is aimed directly at the crowd who says, Gino sucks. Gino's terrible. Gino should be benched. We should play Drew Locke because he completed two passes the week before. So this is a ball early in the game that you might not even remember because, again, it's an incompletion. But look at the ball placement. Right, This is a go-route to DK Metcalf against Cam Taylor-Brett, who said after the game that he bullied DK, that he dominated this matchup. He didn't. Look at that ball placement. It's a nice job by Britt. That's that's ball skills, right? Reaching in there, getting the ball away. DK's, DK's a strong dude. He's got to make those catches, right? We're going to have another conversation coming up soon about DK and uh, his role on the team and his future and kind of his ceiling and how close he is to achieving it. Plays like this, we've seen him make these. Really could have used this. On Sunday. So that's an incompletion, but still, just you can't throw any better than that. This is the ball to Tyler Lockett. This is a gain of 33 down the right sideline. Again, you cannot throw this ball any better than Gino did right there. Anticipation. He looks left. This is early in the game. He's got a good pocket. The offensive line kind of held up well early. Puts a ball as well as you can throw a deep ball, right? We talk about Russell Wilson, his time here. I don't know that Gino's not that much less of a deep ball passer. And then he goes back again down the left sideline, beats Taylor Britt to DK. This time he gets another step on him, had a better release at the line of scrimmage, puts the ball right in his breadbasket. I just wanted to remind you of that kind of, uh, you know, in coaching circles, it's called the, uh, well, I don't want to get profane. <laughs> it's called a crap sandwich, right? Where uh, you you compliment someone, then you give the constructive criticism, and then you tie it back into the compliment at the end. I think that's what I'm going to do today. Now, these are the plays that we wish we could have again. These are the ones we're all talking about, and a couple that I don't think we are talking about because one uh, takes precedence over the rest of them. Uh, so this ball's on the Cincinnati 44-yard line, and DK Metcalf, let's set this up. I've got home internet from Timo. 
one chord to set up. Say goodbye to that Home internet from T-Mobile, just 50 bucks a month. Here's DK, right? Well, let's go here. It's a little easier to see. Here's DK. And you're going to see him just run a go route again. And he is going to have so much space. He's going to be what we call wide ass open, right? And Gino has time to throw the ball. Stop it right here. Right here. We talk about anticipation. You hear the term throwing guys open. And Gino's fatal flaw at times, and he's not alone. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the league. I, I would say the elite of the elite are the ones that anticipate the play developing and, and get rid of the ball before sometimes the receiver even looks back for it, right? I mean, right here, you've got all the protection you need. Right, Bengals are rushing for, but they got kind of a delayed, delayed rusher here. But he has all the time in the world. He could throw it now, because the safety's not going to get over and get to it. Right? He's got inside position. Corner took outside leverage on this. He's got him beat. Gino could throw this right now. Okay. Uh, not only does he not, but now. <laughs> Right? Let's just go back and look at that for a couple of seconds. Watch him. He's so open. He, he's bouncing up and down on the balls of his feet. One, two, three, four. Takes four hops. And he's looking at DK. I just, I, I can't get enough of this. Let's just go back again. One, two, three, four. And for some reason, he, start, he starts to feel a little bit of pressure coming here. Uh, but he's not, like... There's no way. Look at this safety. Look where he's leaning, right? He's still peeking in at this inside receiver here. He's also got Jake Bobo coming at him here. So he doesn't want to commit. Why isn't that throw made? He could have thrown this ball late, and it's a touchdown. Really late, and it's a touchdown. How many touchdown passes do we see Russell Wilson throw during his tenure where he threw the ball really late, but it was still a touchdown, right? He didn't have great anticipation either. And for whatever reason, uh, DK decides not to pull the trigger. And instead, you saw him there. He comes off of DK, comes off of him here, and looks back. He's looking over in the middle of the field. And then he pulls it down because he gets pressure on the interior and he tries to run it and then tries to get rid of it to Bobo at the last second. That's for a team that doesn't have a, a wide margin of error, right? We don't, the, the running game isn't dominant yet. We have the injuries on the offensive line. We're going to talk more about that. Um, it's, you have to make the plays that are there to be made against good teams on the road. Right? And forget about the way the Cincinnati Bengals started the season. They're, they're back to being what they are. Against good teams on the road, you have to make plays like this. You can't leave plays like this on the field. I would love to be a fly on the wall of the film session of this. So, I mean, what is Gino? He took accountability after the game, and I love that. But what's he going to do when he sees the film? My God. He probably didn't even have to wait that long. Somebody probably showed it to him on a Microsoft Surface on the sideline. Got to have those. You got to have those. You, you only get a few opportunities 
in games against good teams, especially on the road, you have to cash in on those. Look at this. He's, he's looking at DK who's off the screen now, uh, which by the way, side note, why do they call it all 22 if the all 22 players aren't in the shot? <laughs> Drives me crazy. Um, anyway, that's a whole nother rant. I don't know why he doesn't pull the trigger there. It's, it's baffling to me. And if the Seahawks want to go where they think they, they can go this, this year, he's got to fix that. Um, let's see. This one is, okay, so this is the interception to JSN. And I said it on the live stream on the PSF app with Dana uh, as soon as it happened. He predetermined this. He decided before the ball was snapped that he was going to throw this to JSN. And I'll show you why. And, and then it's just a bad throw. Like, you can make this, and he's double covered. The ball should have never been thrown. But you can throw it in such a way that he's not going to get picked, right? So he, he underthrew this ball. All right, let, let's see if the, I uh, can't remember now if the end zone camera shows it really well. All the way through. You know, they use JSN in motion a lot in this game. It's just, just an inaccurate throw. He throws that higher and to the outside. And it's at least uh, an incompletion, right? But watch this. Watch what happens over here. You got Colby Parkinson lining up in the backfield, right? He comes out into the flat, and Walker comes out behind him. And watch what happens. When, when I saw this live, I thought, I, I, as I'm watching it, I might have even said it live. Parkinson's wide open. He may not score on this play, but he's gonna get he's gonna get deep. Okay. But right here, and I I I can kind of see it. And and look, I don't ever want to fault a guy for having confidence in his ability to throw the ball in tight windows because we've seen Geno do it time and time again. Some quarterbacks try to throw balls in tight windows that shouldn't be trying to throw balls in tight windows. So you can see it here. You can see what he saw, right? He thinks he can get the ball there before the safety help comes over. But he doesn't. He throws it short. But watch what happens here in this space. It's remarkable. Right? <laughs> and, and from the end zone camera, it uh, gives you an even uh, a different idea that I, that I didn't think about until I started putting this together. Because I was thinking Parkinson the whole way. But what about Kenneth Walker? What about Ken Walker, right? Just toss it out to him in the flat with Colby Parkinson leading the way. We talk over and over and over again about why the Seahawks aren't good on screen plays, getting a guy out in space with blockers in front. This isn't a designed screenplay, but the outlet's there. Ken Walker with his ability, because you have these two DBs who are over here on the pylon paying attention to JSN, right? You've got this as a Jermaine Pratt. Coming over, he's not going to get. You have Colby Parkinson against this dude with Kenneth Walker in the open field. Uh, that's a miss. That's just that's just my, making his mind up before the snap that that's where he's going to go with the ball, which happens a lot in the NFL. Happens more than we probably know it does, but it's also an inaccurate throw. That's a pretty lethal comment. And now this is the play everyone's talking about. I don't know why this was cut off. Uh, so I didn't get the snap. 
Uh, so let's back it up as far as we can because it's right when the play starts developing. Here's Gino, late in the game, right? It's a one-score game. He's got some room and he's got enough time, okay? I mean, Curran's not getting beat <laughs> for a change, okay? And Gino has JSN, and this is the one Pete Carroll talked about on his show this morning about how they had they had this one schemed. They were setting this play up the entire game, which actually hurt more to hear that. They were setting this play up the entire game. It's a touchdown because look where this corner's going. Look where this safety's going, right? This guy's concerned about DK. This guy's trying to get deep, and he's taking a bunch of attention. I mean, JSN walks in. That's an easy pitch and catch. And he's looking right at him. So why doesn't he pull the trigger? And Pete said, well, he felt something coming. And you can see it when we continue this play. Okay, I guess. He felt this guy coming from the outside. But I just spent an entire episode last week talking about his pocket awareness. And he showed it at times again. There are plays he made in this game with subtle movements in the pocket where he felt guys coming, he stayed in the pocket, hung in there, trusted his offensive line. Maybe that's it. This was late in the game, and, and the, the Cincinnati defensive front had started to take over this game. They were getting to Gino with four. Maybe that was just starting to get in his head. That internal clock was starting to speed up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because that's a that's plenty of time to throw the ball. He's looking right at him. <laughs> it's even worse from the end zone, right? And then he takes off running, and look when he takes off running. I mean, this guy's coming in a little bit, but it, it seems like he feels this is more of a significant threat than it really is. The best time to get a Reese's? Anytime. I'd also accept all the time. And he decides to run. He gets positive yards on it. It's, it's a positive play. It's first down. But it should have been a touchdown. And a touchdown might win the game. Uh, it's even worse from here. You might want to look away. Because it's right from the way he's looking. Bam. And that's not even... I'll back it up just a skosh. Here... He's setting himself. He's putting his foot in the ground. His shoulders are square. He's cocking the ball. He's looking right at Jackson Smith and Jigba. Is that Jermaine Pratt again? Is he going to get over there? No. The safety's running the other way. Both safeties are running the other way. There's nobody to make a play. He can make a bad throw, and this is a touchdown. And he decides to pull it down. I mean, look, <laughs> I hadn't noticed this on the first replay. Jason's like, wait, 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 wait. That's, there's so much sign. Pratt's still trying. That's not Pratt. Is that Wilson? He's still trying 
he's, he sees it. Oh shit. I better get back there. I mean, Gino could even throw it here. Is he across the line scrimmage yet? It's, uh, those kinds of plays are inexcusable. And I'm going to put that in context here. And then here's another one that they're down their first and goal or second goal, I think, or third and goal. And he had just made a dart of a throw to JSN to get it to the six or the seven. The kinds of throws that not every quarterback in the NFL is capable of making. Another one I could have put in here to show some of the good things he did on Sunday. But on this one, just the play design, again, I think this one was designed to go to JSN, but everyone's covered, right? Covered. Fant, covered. JSN, covered. But Jake Bobo, not covered. And I want to go back to this because, again, this is another example of sometimes I think Gino trusts his offensive line too much. And uh, he's been rewarded for it for the most part, even with the backups. But this this game, uh, the Bengals in the second half especially, were pressuring him on every snap. And he should have he should have been more aware of speeding up that internal clock because this this might not be a touchdown, but right there. Right there. Although from this angle, you can see how he might still think he has JSN. But even then, even when he realizes he's covered, Bobo's right there. And he's 6'4", strong. He might catch that and reach it over the over the goal line. And then the rush gets to him. He's got to get this ball out. Here it is again. And, and, and I think what, what gives him pause, he looks to the left, and then bam, he comes back here, and I think he thinks he can get JSN there. And then he's covered up. And that's when the, the pocket collapses. But... And, and again, all 22, not all 22 in this case. Uh, if you sync these up, once he comes back this way and he's seeing this side of the field, Jake Bobo is wide-ass open over here um, and might have been able to score. So um, mixed bag for Geno Smith. There was a lot of good, but there were three or four key plays that uh, were there to be made. And then on any given day, he should make, he didn't make, and it costs the Seahawks game. So I've got some sound from Pete Carroll also that just kind of, kind of piggybacks on this that, uh, again, not all on Geno. We saw the plays that were there to be made. What I didn't go through and show you is the six or seven other plays where he just didn't have a chance. Just didn't have a chance because receivers are covered downfield because the Bengals were able to drop seven and get pressure with four, and especially at that last red zone drive where they're trying to trying to go ahead and win the game. Uh, he barely even had time to set his foot in the ground. Uh, this is what Pete had to say about, um, you know, he was pretty hard on some things uh, regarding Gino today and his coach's show, but here was sort of his overall assessment. So it was a combination of things. It wasn't any one particular thing. Um, you know, you would, the focus goes to Gino cause he's, he's got the ball in his hands, but he had, uh, you know, he had a lot of stuff going on uh, with the pressure coming and all. And, and we just didn't hold up the way we needed to, to function right at the end. And uh, we had, uh, we had the chances are there, you know, and, and we need to execute a little bit better. Yeah, and Gino, to his credit, took accountability after the game, as I said. Um, but now we need to see it change, right? It, there's an old, <laughs> something I heard years ago, and it stuck with me, and I say it on a weekly basis to somebody. And it's one of those sayings that's uh, sort of half-joking, but also I mean it. Uh, when someone says, oh, sorry, when they screw up. Um, 
Don't be sorry. Change. Adapt. Get better. Show us you can get better. Um, if he continues to do this on a game-in, game-out basis, this probably isn't a playoff team. But I don't believe that. I think players have bad days. Pitchers have bad days, right? We've seen, I've seen anyway, some of you refuse to acknowledge it, but during that last third of last year when the offense wasn't as productive, again, in large part because of injuries in the offensive line and some other things that were happening, uh, I think a lot of people had made up their mind that Gino played really poorly that last third of the season, really poorly as a whole, where I would challenge you to go back at, uh, you know, if you don't want to watch all 22, just watch the condensed games. Go back and take a half an hour and watch those games again, and you'll see that some of those games were ugly slugfests that he was the only reason we were in it. There were moments in both the San Francisco games last year that he was the only reason we were in the game. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. For some reason, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just as simple as perception that once a guy's a backup and he's been dubbed a bust or a failure, you just can't get past that, right? There are people that are convinced that Jamal Adams will never, ever stay healthy. And it's not because they have any kind of medical degree or doctorate or inside knowledge of his medical file or any how he's built. They just, that's, once you get that perception in your head, it's hard to lose it, right? I think it's similar to how people have been really slow to accept Brock Purdy as a as a high quality NFL starter. And I, and I say that knowing that, of course, yesterday he loses his first game in the NFL and didn't play well. But again, to my point, everybody has a bad day. Jalen Hurts, who's been anointed as one of the one of the young guns and one of the stars of this league and has been paid handsomely because of it and, and, and seems to avoid harsh criticism even when he's not playing well. And he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year. Uh, he throws a crucial interception that was worse than any interception Geno's thrown this year. Terrible, terrible, terrible interception that cost his team a, a chance to win yesterday as the Eagles lose their first game. It doesn't seem like he's getting the same kind of criticism, but yet there's people out there that want to throw Geno off the roster. There's people that have come at me and said, Drew Locke should start. Why? Because he completed two passes against the Giants? The discussion of what to do in 2024 and beyond is one that we will have many, many times. I have some very strong thoughts on that, and we won't wait till the end of the season to get into that. I'll start looking at draft possibilities and things like that as we get later in the year. Here's my analogy. Matt Hasselbeck was one of my favorite Seahawks of all time. I was a huge proponent of Matt, huge fan. I don't know if you can see it back there next to the on-air sign. It's a signed Matt Hasselbeck ball. Um, one of his throwback jerseys is going to join next to Sherman there soon on the back wall there after I get some painting done. Um, I, think, I think it's a good comp for Geno Smith. My dad and I spent 10 years arguing about Matt Hasselbeck. He hated him. He thought he was terrible. And every single preseason when someone would flash, he would think that guy's the answer. 
Seneca Wallace. Oh, God, he thought Seneca Wallace was going to be the second coming of Grant Tarkenton. Remember Mike Teal? Sixth, seventh-round draft pick out of Rutgers. He had a preseason game where he lit it up in the fourth quarter against the Raiders. Went something like 14 out of 16, couple of touchdowns. Uh, that guy, that guy should be the starter. Dad, if you're listening, I, I love you. I'm just trying to make a point. That once you make a decision about a player, it's sometimes hard for that player to change your mind. And sometimes it turns out to be right. <laughs> right? We, uh, most of us thought C.J. Procise was, was going to have a hard time staying healthy and ever having a productive NFL career well before it was officially over. And we were right about that one. But sometimes we're not. And in this case, what I used to always argue for is that Matt Hasselbeck was a very, very good NFL quarterback, a top half of the league quarterback. And I would always frame it this way. And this is what I would challenge you to, to ask yourself about Geno Smith as well. There are two parts of the discussion, right? There are where he fits in the echelon of NFL starting quarterbacks. And then there's the, well, you should just draft a guy. And that's, I don't even have time to go into that. I don't want this to be an hour long episode. If you, if you believe that that's what the Seahawks should have done, then you're basically conceding this season. You're basically saying that you're okay not being competitive, not making the playoffs. Now, maybe you would. Maybe he'd be one of those rare rookie quarterbacks like we're seeing with C.J. Stroud right now that, and like we saw with Russell Wilson, that because some other pieces are in place, he fits in and they lean on the running game and, and they call efficient, you know, they put, they put game plans together that, that are manageable and, and they can win while he's developing and growing. But that's very, very rare. History is against you, my friend. But what I used to always say to my dad and what I used to always ask people to consider in regards to Matt Hasselbeck is, okay, tell me how many other quarterbacks in the NFL you would like to have rather than Matt Hasselbeck. And they'd list 10, 11, 12, maybe. Okay, do that with Gino. Now, how are you going to get those guys? You can't. They're not available. Geno Smith proved himself to be a more than capable NFL starter. And I would say borderline top 10. Just top of my head. I'll make a list sometime if you want me to. And, I, and I'll put some real thought into it and, and try, to, try to be as unbiased as I can and, and where he ranks. That would be a fun exercise. But I'd say there's probably only 10 or 11 quarterbacks in the league that I'd rather have than Geno right now. And, and contract is a part of that discussion. The Seahawks didn't hitch their wagon to Geno forever. And some of you were worried about that. They structured the contract in such a way to achieve exactly the opposite of that. That they can move on. He's a bridge quarterback with an opportunity for more. If he clicks in, goes and plays at a Pro Bowl level for the rest of the year, then he's probably going to hold on to that job for a couple of years. But we can't see many more performances like we did yesterday if he expects to be the long-term answer. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. I don't think Pete Carroll and John Schneider think he's the long-term answer. 
I believe very strongly that they would love to acquire a young quarterback to groom, maybe only for a year or two behind Geno, that can be the franchise guy moving forward. They just haven't, the chips haven't fallen their way. The depth of the quarterback classes haven't matched up with where they draft. And their roster has had too many needs for them to be aggressive in moving up to get one of those guys. That day could be coming. And as I said, again, we'll have that discussion. But what I tried to show you today is that you can't have it both ways. If you're one of the Geno Smith sucks crowd, then how do you explain the other good stuff that he does? Really good stuff. It's not luck. It's not system. It's not Waldron scheming guys wide open. He's making time and time again, every single week, he's making really, really big time throws down the field into tight windows. The analytics prove it. All the advanced numbers, big time throw percentage, how good he is from 10 to 19 yards. You can't have it both ways. You can't ignore the good and then point at the three or four bad plays and say, see, he's terrible. And I don't even know why I'm spending time addressing that part of the crowd. Because if, if you're going to come at me with any NFL player, but especially a starting caliber Pro Bowl player and say he sucks or he's terrible, you kind of excuse yourself from the debate. So, um, you know, I, hopefully I pointed out here today that, you know, I think you know that I'm, I'm a supporter of Geno. I believe in the talent, but it's got to get better. That's a game, just like Pete said, that is a game that they had an opportunity to win. You can even make an argument they should have won it, and they didn't. Thankfully, the rest of the league cooperated with us. The Eagles lose their first game. The 49ers lose their first game, so they're still just a game, well, a game and a half out because the Niners haven't had their bye yet. They're still in the thick of it with four games coming up that I think they match up favorably in, but Gino does have to be better. He does. Okay? Uh, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. Um, <laughs> I hit the wrong thing. That was breaking news there. Um, and, uh, yeah, listen, it's, it's a tough one, but I don't think it's a killer. I said at the top of the show that I would put it in context for you. It's Dana tried to convince me of this the entire game and I wouldn't buy it because in, in the moment of the game, I'm emotional. Right? Um, but it's not a killer. And we have to remember how young this roster is. We have to remember how much they're developing and how many good things that we're seeing. And I do think the Bengals are a very, very, very good team. It was on the road. We gave them everything we, we had, and we came up a player too short. I think the Bengals would admit to themselves that they got away with one. And for a young team on the rise, that's a good thing. Now we need to see the next step. Can they take this and turn it into a good performance against the Cardinals? A pretty scary Cardinals team. Don't take them lightly. We'll talk about them later in the week. I'm also going to do some more All-22 and break down all of JSN's targets, take a deeper look into his performance as well as we get uh, towards the end of the week. At Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Subscribe to the channel. Buy me a coffee or a beer if you want to. Link is in the description. Until next time, thank you so much for watching. I'm Dan. Forever and always, go Hawks. Thank you.